everybody. Welcome to Jay and Jay on Jazz, powered by Jazzwire. Uh, this is my friend James, and he plays an instrument with three moving parts. Four, if you count the spit valve. And Jeff, you passed out in your first saxophone lesson? That is true. Now, here's the thing. James and I will never lie to you. Yes, in my first saxophone lesson, I hit the ground playing. And uh, I'm, I'm still friends with the guy. I was his first student. He was my first teacher. He thought he killed me. And he said when I landed, I actually bounced a little bit. He said it was pretty awesome. So um, yeah. from yeah. those inauspicious beginnings, I am now a star on TV. That's what they tell me. They say <laughs> they've told me this is going out on TV. Um, I don't know. But let's, uh, let, let's talk about jazz. Yeah, otherwise we'll, we'll be talking about interweb TVs and neither one of us know what that's all about. So Let's we'll not do that. Stick to the script. <laughs> well, man, I'm really pumped this week because we're going to spend a couple of minutes talking about what, in my opinion, is a darn near perfect chorus. Something that a lot of us, all of us, seem to be striving for all the time. Uh, I never get there. I don't know about you, Jeff, but I, I never leave a gig or a tune thinking, yeah, man, that, I had at least one perfect chorus. No, never, ever, ever, ever. And so we've got a great example this week that's been a really important solo to me for a long time by one of my heroes, the great tenor saxophonist, Hank Mobley. And this solo is from a Miles Davis recording live at the Blackhawk. I think it's from the, the Friday night Friday, version. There's a yeah. Friday and a Saturday. Um, and it's on a blues. And last week we were just talking about the blues. So this is a, a really cool uh, sort of next step in that in that process. For all you folks at Jazzwire, I know we spent a lot of time talking about the blues. And that's, as Jeff said, that's the laboratory that we use in Jazzwire a lot. That's a workshop for me. So we get a little bit of a window into Hank Mobley's workshop or a laboratory in this entire solo, but this this exact chorus uh, that we're going to talk about. And what we're going to do is we'll have a transcription of this up for you all, ready to go. And uh, we're going to listen to it here in just a second, but we'll have the timestamp for this exact chorus in the transcription so you can check it out and go right to it. But right now, let's just take a minute and check out this, in my opinion, perfect chorus from Hank Mobley's solo on No Blues, Miles Davis, live at the Blackhawk, Friday night. All right, an amazing solo by Hank Mobley. And now we want to send you this PDF. In many of our episodes, James and I are going to have a PDF of a transcription, an exercise, an etude, something or other. So if you sign up here and write us at jandjonjazz at gmail.com, um, put you to the mailing list, and every week you'll get uh, a link to the video and any PDFs that, uh, that are there. So just write us. We're happy to send you the transcription. So yeah, James, tell me about what intrigues you about this uh, solo. The first thing that knocks me out about this solo is the way that Hank plays with rhythm. Last week, I said the nickname on the back of my hockey jersey was Eighth Note King. We know Hank Mobley could play eighth note lines all day long. This chorus happens like... 10, 11, 12 choruses into a solo on a live date. By that point in a solo for me, I'm completely out of control. I've just lost all sense of where the heck I even am. For Hank to have this much control over playing with rhythm and doing so in a meaningful way, 
that says mastery to me. The other thing that knocks me out is the symmetry of this solo. It starts and ends solo. This chorus starts and ends with the same basic idea. Starts like this. I'll slow it down a little bit because it's kind of tough to catch it in the recording. So here's how it starts. Two, two bars before the top of the form. That's symmetry, right? In the middle of, a, of, of his 12th chorus. Brilliant. So those are the first two things that just completely knock my socks off. Now, what about you? Yeah. Well, uh, and, and, you know, you're talking about symmetry and, you know, another way, the way most of us would beat ourselves up for doing something like that is I can't believe I played the same thing in the same spot, two choruses in a row. Uh, right. I suck and blah, blah, blah. No. <laughs> and, and perhaps we could argue the bottom line is the greatest musicians on earth do this. They have their vocabulary that they use over and over again, sometimes so clearly and obviously like this. So if that's the only lesson to allow yourself to play something you know sounds good. And I love it when I see this stuff in solos because it tells me what Hank Mobley valued. Mm. Was it was it luck that he played those exact 10 or 12 notes? No, that's something he practiced. He shedded. Um, there's no way that would have come out two times in 12 measures otherwise. So that lets me be a mind reader. That lets me go back and know what Hank Mobley was thinking or what his practice routine was like. So I love seeing things like that because it gives me and my students permission to be human beings. Yes. And, and here's the thing. You didn't even hear it like that. You're calling it symmetry. You're calling that genius composition, <laughs> which by the way, it's both, right? And so whether he was thinking motivically and compositionally or whether he was just on autopilot and played this lick he knows two times in a row, the bottom line is it makes for great music. So I, I love that observation. Can I point out one other thing that I'm just I'm Please. dying to talk about right now? Yeah, yeah. So in addition to the symmetry, you mentioned something that really I think is beautiful, which is genius composition. So when you take a look at this PDF, and again, make sure you hit us via email so we can send this to you. We want to make sure you, you get a look at this. One of the things that I think is so beautiful, there's this really beautiful ascent and descent in the first four bars, and it really pulls us to that fifth bar. So I'm going to try to to make sure you can hear that. I'm going to slow the solo down, and I'm really going to lean on the notes that are going up and down by half steps and whole steps, and see if you can hear that. I hope I can pull this off. So I'll start top of the solo, which is two bars before the top of the blues chorus. so beautiful pulling us right to that fifth bar oh my gosh like like Bach would write something like that you know I mean that's to me is is just total genius and to hear that in a chorus in the middle of a long live solo totally blows my mind that so yeah that's that's fantastic. And so before we go any further, I want to let people know about Maryland Summer Jazz because this is this what you just learned from James right there. James, by the way, is on faculty with us this summer. I hope you guys sign up for Maryland Summer Jazz. Visit the website. It's an online virtual uh, workshop. We had 90 people attend from 
all over the world studying with people like James. Uh, this summer, we have Randy Brecker on trumpet. There's two trumpet players on earth, James and Randy Brecker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there might be a third. I can't think of her name right now. Um, we have all these super legendary players, and then we have folks you're going to work with day in, day out. This is the kind of material, these little genius insights into genius solos that work so well in an online setting. So I hope uh, you folks will check out um, Maryland Summer Jazz. And yeah, you know, I've, I've known this solo for years, but I, I can't say I've really dug into it. And so James sends me this thing a couple days ago. I'm like, oh man, yeah, this is... As you say, it reminds me of Bach. It's so obvious when you see it. Of course he played that. That makes so <laughs> much sense, right? Right. Of course Bach wrote that. There's nothing else that could be there except for nobody had ever done that before, right? And so, you know, one of the things I love, one of the things I use a lot in my playing and that I certainly teach because it's such a classic device are enclosures, I know some people call them rotations or upper and lower neighbors and things like that. This solo is just filled with them. Ooh, uh, there's yes. this great line, right? There's this great line in, um, well, what would it be? So I guess in the, uh, if we count from the end of the course, one, two, three, four, uh, five, six. So is that the ninth measure of the tune, I guess, where he just plays this little line? <laughs> And there might be a little ghosted note there, but the idea is he's playing this above, this note above, and then a note or two under and hits a target note. And then if we look at the next four notes, he does another enclosure. Mm -hmm. That shape, that melodic device is all over this tune, this above below target note. Sometimes it's two notes above. Sometimes it's a couple below. But that's really the sound of not only bebop, but uh, Baroque music, too. There's a, actually a lot of similarities in harmony and melody between Baroque music and bebop. So it's kind of cool. But yeah, there's just so many absolutely beautiful textbook uh, lines in here. And yeah, I, I love the... Uh, you know, exactly what you pointed out before, James, especially that second note of the second measure of the chorus. So that might be the fourth measure on your PDF. But That's right. um, on that B-flat concert, that sharp five he mm. plays, that, that really hip note, right? If I play it again from the very beginning... Right. He leans on that super hip note. And so, you know, as a younger player, I'd be thinking it's like, well, that's a wrong note. You know, it's not the fifth. So maybe if I was a little hip, I'd understand, oh, that's a sharp five. So then I'd try to play a sharp five the next time I have a chance to play and it would sound terrible. And now <laughs> I'm bummed out because Hank Mobley's allowed to play sharp fives and I'm not. Like there's some club I'm not a member of. Why do his sharp fives sound good and mine don't? A reason or two. One is intention. He's playing that note like he means it. I'm playing yes. that note like I'm touching a hot stove. Okay, <laughs> not good, right? And the other right. thing is, what did you say before? You showed us that line where that note has to be there. 
right? He's walking from here to there and he has to cover the points in between. And when he hits that note, it's the most obvious thing in the world. So we could call that voice leading or guide tones or things like that. But uh, yeah, you know, so I love that note stuck out, but then why it works is kind yeah. of the genius thing. So, you know, again, that's one of the things we do. We are talking about Jazzwire. I hope you guys sign up for a free trial. By the way, go to this link. From that link, in 20 seconds, you are inside Jazzwire working with us for a week, a week free trial. So I really, really hope you check it out. And this is the kind of stuff we do is look at, you know, any teacher can say, hey, kid, play a sharp five, play an augmented sound. But then how do we make it really work? What is the context of that? How note, do you right? play that sound? That's the thing that always used to frustrate me when I was younger yep. too, Jeff, is that somebody would say, here's this scale or here's this sound. Play around with it. Yeah, okay, I can play around with it. But when I hear my heroes playing it, it sounds really logical. And I, and I, But am I allowed to play just what they're playing? Do I have to create my own approach to this sound? I just want to sound like them. Is that wrong? No, of course that's not wrong. That's how we learn this language. But this is a great example this entire solo, but particularly that thing you're pointing out, that, that F-sharp concert is like, yeah, 15-year-old James didn't know what a sharp five was, and when I learned it, I didn't know how to use it. This is a great way to, to show a student how this functions, how you get to a note like that, and where you go from there. This is goal-oriented music. I'm going to say that until I'm blue in the face. I so, love it. That, that, a, that's a, yeah. It's a great phrase. It's a great phrase. So you guys, we want to send you this solo and uh, put you on the list for everything else that's coming up. So uh, write us at jandjonjazz at gmail.com. And by the way, if you have any requests, if there's something you'd like us to talk about, a concept, an idea, um, why the trumpet doesn't actually have five moving parts, like there's so much we could cover because it's barely an <laughs> instrument. Frankly, it's barely I'm an not instrument. arguing. I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing. I, we'll talk about at, that in another episode. There's at least 123 keys on the saxophone, and I know some of them. I'm really working hard to learn all of them. There it is. So uh, I think we're going to leave it there. You guys, James, thank you so much. This is a blast. I appreciate you bringing some Hank Mobley in. And uh, we've got a lot more for you coming up. So uh, have a great week and uh, have a good time with this solo. Take care. See y'all. Cheers. Cheers.